We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning, and the U.S. House of Representatives will be holding a second floor vote on the election of a new speaker uh, today at 11 a.m., according to reports. And the House is currently uh, still in recess after 20 Republicans voted against House Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan on the first ballot. So there were 20 Republicans. That is a kind of a tough hill to climb and overcome for Representative Jim Jordan, and at least one of the Republican holdouts, uh, a representative, uh, Doug LaMalfa from California, reportedly told Jordan that he voted for Kevin McCarthy, who I think received about seven votes in protest, though McCarthy does not plan to support uh, his bid on the second ballot. And as for the other 19 Republicans, there was a very interesting CNN clip yesterday from Representative Ken Buck from my former home state of Colorado, and he stated that that Jim Jordan needs to, quote, unequivocally state that Donald Trump lost the 2020 election in order to secure his vote. Buck also stated that his involvement in the events surrounding January 6th is something he cannot look past. And side note, uh, Ken Buck is being primaried. So if you're uh, listening from the great state of Colorado, might want to consider that. So joining me now to discuss this and where we go from here is the GOP in chaos is my good friend Jason Rance from Seattle. He is the host of the Jason Rant Show, and also has a brand new book out that is really incredible that you absolutely need to read, titled What's Killing America. Good morning, Jason, and thanks so much for getting up so early to be with us this morning. <laughs> Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, so we talked on my podcast uh, yesterday, and um, you know, we've had kind of the overnight to to consider uh, where the house goes from here. I mean, I I still don't see how Jim Jordan can overcome this deficit of twenty Republicans. Yeah, I mean, unless something dramatic happened over the last you know fourteen hours or so, I, I don't see how he gets to that point either. I'm hoping that it's at least a little bit closer and they're showing some movement, which would indicate that maybe you go to a third vote. Hopefully we don't have to go through 15 rounds, but obviously we're not going to figure this out in the next round. And so it, it this is contingent on Republicans actually leading. Someone's going to have to step up and, and stop being as selfish as they're being. Uh, with all due respect to anyone who doesn't like Jim Jordan, you and I talked about this yesterday. This idea that Jim Jordan is somehow an extremist is absolutely ludicrous. He's very clearly not an extremist. But even if you were to hold that position, as silly as it is, the American people, I think, do want Jim Jordan. At least the Republican Party wants Jim Jordan. And if you don't, you're going to have to suck it up. 
at some point you have to put aside your personal animus towards an individual and decide what's best for the country. And right now, having a speaker is what's best for the country. Absolutely. And uh, and what's so fascinating about this as well is it's not like the speaker has uh, more votes than any other representative. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. there is um, there is power within that, but it's still a member of the Republican Party and not a moderate, which is the minority of the majority. And so whether it's Jim Jordan, whether it had been Steve Scalise, even whether it was it was Kevin McCarthy, I mean, I, I get that why Matt Gates did all of that. And if Jim Jordan becomes the speaker, Matt Gates is automatically kind of a base hero uh, for vacating the chair. But, you know, among Republicans, um, any of these guys, in my opinion, are better than a vacancy. Precisely. And, and to your point, there are guardrails in place if you don't like what the speaker is doing. I think Kevin McCarthy will talk to that. So, so clearly they are, are in a position where if, for whatever reason, the moderates don't like whatever Jim Jordan is doing, it's not like they're powerless. There's enough numbers within that group to stymie anything that they truly believe is an abuse of power or is you know going down the wrong path. So again, for them to continue to bring this stalemate, it's showing this, this is a unforced error. Everything is going in the way of Joe Biden right now, right? Bidenomics has been a failure, and the people overwhelmingly see Republicans as the ones who can help with the economy. When you look at all of these issues from crime and homelessness to housing and just the general cost of living, everything is going against Joe Biden. And now we are telling the American people as Republicans, yeah, we're not able to govern. We're not actually united. On the left, they're completely united. When they fight, they fight behind the scenes. They fight behind closed doors. And they don't generally have that spill out into the public. Republicans are having it spill out into the, uh, into the public, and they always do. And it is just a bad look. Really well said. And I'm talking to Jason Rance, who's the host of the Jason Rance Show on KTTH Radio in Seattle from 3 to 7 p.m. Pacific time and also the author of the brand new book, What's Killing America. And speaking, Jason, of the numbers and not wanting to govern, I mean, I think a lot of people do see this as just personality conflicts. Uh, that are now being aired in public and getting in the way of actually governing. And when you look at the numbers from yesterday, Jim Jordan put up 200 votes, but Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat nominee for speaker, got 212. So that means he only needs five Republicans like the Ken Bucks of the world that are ridiculously suggesting that Jim Jordan uh, couldn't object on the floor like Democrats have done in the past to elections and not uh, comply with the Electoral Count Act. You know, so all of these ridiculous nonsense things about insurrectionists and all of that. And you only need five people like Buck to then turn around and say, well, you know what? We're going to stick it to uh, Jim Jordan and the Matt Gates of the world, and we might side with the Democrats. I mean, that's actually genuinely a possibility. How possible do you think that potentially is in terms of what we can expect in the second round? I, I mean, there have been reports that Jordan may not even reach the 200 threshold. Yeah, look, I, I don't know. I, I certainly hope that it's not a possibility uh, beyond just you and I being terrified of it being a possibility. I, I think right now, especially, there's this mistake that I think folks in the media make that the average person is following this to the extent that we are. And I, I've seen people ask the question like, well, why isn't Hakeem Jeffries now the speaker? He had more votes. So I think people are already thinking that some Republicans 
are going with the, the Democrat here. And I think that that poses a serious problem. If you're a Republican, including a moderate, and you go with Hakeem Jeffries, then you're not a moderate Republican, you're a moderate Democrat. And you're leaning stronger into the Democrat Party every single day that they even leave that as an option. Look, this is a Democrat Party that has a member, several members within the squad that don't believe Israel has the right to exist. So please spare me this whole idea that you think that Jim Jordan is an extremist if you're willing to side with that kind of party. Yeah. And, and speaking of extremism, um, I, I want to get into your book as well. Uh, What's killing America? Because, you know, this this is well beyond the solution being, well, just vote in a good person into the White House or, you know, we just need to look to Congress to solve all of our problems. I mean, government, mm-hmm. as, as Andrew Breitbart rightly said, uh, politics is downstream from culture. And our culture right now is so off the rails because it has lost a foundation of truth and uh, the biblical worldview, but we see how the left has intentionally tried to tear down institutions and to change culture, which has now affected politics. And one election is not going to solve that. I mean, everyone needs to vote. Obviously, we need to focus on civil government. But your book details that it's so much broader than that. Yeah, when I say what's killing Americans, someone responds, Democrats or Biden. Uh, I, I just want to look them in the eyes and say, oh, you're, you're so wrong, because it's not that simple. I wish it were, because then individual oh, elections would matter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really, truly wish that that were the case. But there's not a flip of the switch. They said on the radical left, and, and this is the only credit I give them, because they were honest, they said we're going to dismantle systems of oppression, and then we're going to rebuild them. Well, they believe that every American institution is a system of oppression. And so what they did was they institutionalized their changes. Some of the changes were done via legislatively, some just changing policy. Others were putting people in positions of power that have very little oversight, like prosecutors. And what they've done across the board as they've taken control of the culture and taking control of the language, making it that much easier for them to actually win these arguments because now they're framing debates in terms that guarantee that they're going to win. And they've fundamentally changed every aspect of this country. Looking at the criminal justice system, they have gone easy on criminals. Looking at homelessness, they've allowed homelessness to homeless people to do whatever it is they want. When it comes to drug use, yeah, we now have an open drug use culture. And that was all deliberate changes that doesn't just go back to normal because you make some few differences in elections. And unfortunately, Unless you know how to decode the language on the left, unless you know how to speak the language on the left, we're not going to be able to change anything. And so what I cover in What's Killing America is I don't just tell you what they did. I tell you why they did it, what motivated them, and how did they win arguments in cities? Because I get you know, notes from people, particularly uh, those who know I live in Seattle, telling me, why do people keep voting for the same people? It's because they're getting convinced that what they're doing is the right thing, the compassionate thing because of the language that the left uses, the radical left. And unless we start talking in those terms and understanding it in those terms, we're not going to see any differences. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I could not agree more. Uh, Jason Rance, the author of the brand new book, What's Killing America. And I say this even from uh, Christians who are, of course, very well-meaning, want to follow the Bible. And mm-hmm. yet there are so many people in my mentions on social media or, you know, emails and other things that I receive that that say, well, we should be tolerant. We should, you know, Jesus commanded us to love everyone. And I'm thinking you're buying into the, the language of the left and you're allowing them not only to manipulate what tolerance and diversity and love actually means from a a moral perspective, but this also goes back to how the left has been pushing critical theory. I mean, when you have um, queer studies, gender studies, all of these different studies that led in this system that you earlier that there is an oppressor and the oppressed and when they try to categorize everyone into those two different communities then whatever value is placed on the whatever the oppressor ostensibly has whether that's you know whiteness when you're talking about the oppressor being white versus black when you're talking about the patriarchy and the value is man versus being a man versus a woman but now we don't even know what a woman is right but all of these things that that value or status then um, then goes back into how the left then silences anyone who is part of what they define as the oppressor. And so it's completely capping uh, conservatives at the at the legs because then we can't even enter into the debate because they see us as the enemy and they're teaching the culture that these critical theories are accurate and we need to have this this sort of uh, equity instead of genuine equality, which is the American experience and liberty. So in just the last like two minutes I have with you, Jason, um, what's the solution that you talk about in What's Killing America and where can people find this book? So the solution is, well, number one, understanding where they're coming from. And the oppressor versus oppressed is a really great example of that. They are obsessed with identity. But we have to know how they wield that kind of obsession in changing policy and winning arguments. Then we all have to be willing to actually have these conversations with folks. Not with the radicals. We're not going to be able to change them. But we can change the minds of our neighbors, of our friends, of the coworkers who won't turn you into HR for talking politics, for family members. We have to be able to step up and have those conversations with folks who are liberal. We're not going to get a Republican leader in cities like New Orleans or L.A. or Seattle or New York. But we can get us closer to the center and then eventually get them to the right. But we have to be willing to have those arguments. You just need the tools in order to do it correctly. And I give those tools in the book. And the good news is it's on sale right now. You can get it wherever it is you buy your uh, books, walmart.com, Books A Million, Amazon, God bless the, uh, the algorithm. They just put me in the buy one, get one 50% off uh, bestseller list. So if you want to get the new Mark Levin book or the new Dan Bongino book, you can get that plus mine and it's 50% off at Amazon. Awesome. We'll support your local conservative authors. And uh, that includes Jason Rance and his book, What's Killing America. Jason, thanks so much for joining me. You can also follow him on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Jason Rance. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. I'd like to take a minute to have a heart-to-heart with you. If you're able, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? My strong heartbeat reminds me that I'm alive. See, it's the same for an unborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception and at just three weeks is already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on an ultrasound. 
That's where Preborn steps in, rescuing 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing a mother with a free ultrasound and allowing her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just $28, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. So much is still going on in the Middle East with the conflict between Israel, Hamas, and Hezbollah. And Middle East leaders are now withdrawing from meeting with President Biden as he travels to the region. Uh, According to the Associated Press, Biden has not even exited the plane yet. And his efforts to tampen down the tensions and the escalating war between Israel and Hamas faced a massive setback even before he departed for the Middle East yesterday, as Jordan called off the president's planned summit with Arab leaders after a deadly explosion at a Gaza hospital that killed hundreds. Biden will now travel only to Israel and will postpone his travel to Jordan, a White House official said as Biden departed yesterday. And uh, Hamas had tried to claim that Israel fired the rockets at the hospital in Gaza after a missile intended for Israel misfired. According to the Times of Israel, the Israel Defense Forces on Tuesday night said that it was not behind a blast at a hospital in the Gaza Strip, which, according to Hamas health authorities, led to hundreds of deaths, approximately 300, and that a misfired rocket launched by Gaza terrorists led to the explosion at that hospital. So this is continuing to escalate. We are, of course, uh, talking about all of the things um, associated with this. And another interesting facet of this is how technology may be the key to Israel defeating Hamas. AI will be at the forefront on keeping Israel safe and taking out the terrorists, according to my next guest, uh, Carl Zabo, who is the vice president and general counsel for Net Choice and a professor of internet law at George Mason University. Scalia Law School. So good morning, Carl. Thanks so much for joining again. And um, how is AI going to be on the forefront of keeping Israel safe? Yeah, thanks for having me, Jenna. Look, uh, you know, there's a lot to be really upset and frustrated with. It's been been an excruciating week for all of us. Um, And, you know, there is some some good news to come out of this. you need to look at Israel itself. It's nine million people. So it's it's about the size of New York City. And so it's a pretty small populace. But what they've done with technology, what they've done with innovation is what we as as Jews often do is is we take what we're given and we build on it. And that comes in the form of artificial intelligence. In fact, a lot of the greatest digital security systems that we use here in the United States today comes from innovation developed in Israel. So Israel definitely has the brain power and the knowledge. So what does that have to do with AI? What does that have to do with what's going on right now? For years, we've heard about what's called the Iron Dome. This is the Israeli defense system because these rocket attacks, these launches into Israel are not new. They didn't just happen in the past two weeks. They've been happening for the past 20 years. Israelis face these missile launches on a regular basis. The reason we don't often hear about it 
is because these rockets are stopped midair. Literally, the Israelis are able to use radar to identify a rocket launch from Gaza or the West Bank or elsewhere, and then using AI, perfectly calculate the trajectory of that weapon and then launch their own missile to intercept it and collide with it. I mean, think about this from a simple example, trying to throw a dart and hitting a dartboard 10 miles away bullseye. That's the type of precision that we're talking about here. That's the type of calculations we're talking about here. And they are being done in nanoseconds because, remember, the distance between Gaza and Israel is literally a fence. So that is where technology and AI is being used and has been used for several years, actually. Now, one of the other things is what you just mentioned. And some of this is the completely false information that is being perpetrated by Hamas or Islamic Jihad to try and control the narrative. Now, we saw many American newspapers rush to blame Israel over the past 24 hours for the attack on the hospital in Gaza. Turns out to be completely false. Well, leveraging AI, we can actually better identify fake images, fake videos, and deep fakes and stop them before they spread. And this is happening all the time online. So we do have websites like YouTube, like Twitter, or sorry, YouTube and X and Instagram that are leveraging AI algorithms to identify known false information, flagged content, dangerous content, and terrorist content, and making sure that it gets removed before it gets to us. The last thing that I'll note is on the cybersecurity front. So one of the other avenues of this war is not just hand-to-hand combat. It's not just military forces that we can see with our eyes, like tanks or weapons. It is a cyber warfare that is going on and that has been going on for at least several weeks now, where you have terrorists trying to take down the Israeli grid system, the power grid, the uh, hospital systems, the communication systems across the country. And it is actually AI that is being used to block these cyber attacks, because at the end of the day, the technology and defenses need to move as fast as our opponents, if not faster. And that's where AI is coming into play. And I think, uh, Carl Zabo, this is um, a broader expansion of the use of AI than is what uh, than what is typically in the forefront of uh, most people or the average person when you think about AI. About just chat GPT or maybe some uh, computer generated images, but this is way more expansive in terms of how AI is actually being utilized. And that Congress is calling for a pause or shutdown on the development of AI. And I've talked with um, some of the, the tech policy people over at Heritage Foundation, some other places that agree with you that that is very dangerous um, in terms of where the United States is in our policy and, and and being well behind the curve in terms of artificial intelligence. So how should we be thinking about AI from a, this broader perspective of how it's actually utilized and why it's so important for the United States to stay current? I mean, that, that's perfectly said. Our government has done a terrible job 
of keeping dangerous weapons out of the hands of criminals, murderers, and terrorists. It's done a terrible job. You know, it's done a good job of keeping tools, technology, and self-defense tools out of the hands of good actors, people like you and me, people who will use AI for good. And what we are seeing here in the halls of Congress, what we're seeing around the world, is a call for basically all the good users, all the, all the people who would use this technology for self-defense, for the type of, of uh, intellectual information gathering and defense systems that we see. All the people who would use AI for good are being told, no, you should pause, you should stop. And we know that bans on tools will never stop the bad actors. It will never stop the criminals. It will never stop the terrorists. So what we are doing is we are going to hamstring all of the Western powers from having this next tool in the war on terrorism, the war on uh, criminals. We are going to take that tool away from us and let only our foreign adversaries use it. That's essentially what is being talked about here in Congress. It's being uh, quite simply, hey, stop using AI because it might be used for bad. But we know from over 200 years of history that criminals will continue to do bad things and break the laws because that's what makes them criminals. Now, let's take a look at how this would impact us directly here in the United States. Roll back the clock 20 years to 9-11. We had the information that terrorists would be going to the flight schools, would be uh, getting on airplanes and had considered uh, attacking New York City. We had that information. We just could not connect the dots. That is what AI can do a great job at today. It can prevent the next 9-11. We can identify people coming across the border, people who have connections to terrorist groups, people who have connections to foreign adversaries. We can identify where they're going, what they're doing, and identify the potential threat vectors that they present and prevent the next 9-11. Israel has a really good AI system to identify the movements of terrorist groups in Gaza, in um, uh, uh, Lebanon and other parts of the region, and even it was not good enough. But what we can use AI to do today is to prevent the next terrorist attack and better find the terrorists before they strike. And that's what is going to be kneecapped and taken away from our toolkit at a time when we can least afford it. The world has become an incredibly more dangerous place over the past three years. And if America ceases to innovate, we cease to use all the tools at our disposal to stop terrorism around the world, then we're going to be at a disadvantage. And the only people using AI will be the bad actors. And we will be at their mercy. And I'm speaking with Carl Zabo, who is the vice president and general counsel for NetChoice and also professor of internet law at George Mason's University Scalia Law School. And Carl, this reminds me, this argument of saying we need to pause and, and totally stop AI because um, it could be used for the wrong purposes. This reminds me exactly of the leftist argument for gun control when they're saying we need to have, uh, you know, nobody should be keeping and bearing arms because guns may ha- fall into the hands of the wrong people and criminals. Well, that's 
that's going to happen anyway. And when you don't allow law-abiding citizens to use arms for self-defense, for security, for other purposes, then you're just aggravating the problem. And it sounds like that's exactly what uh, Congress and even some of the Republicans may be playing into with, with this whole discussion about AI. So what should the United States do to perhaps mirror uh, Israel's policy and uh, what is Israel's policy on AI and why are they so much further ahead in their usage than the United States? Yeah, there's lots to unpack there. So the simple answer to Congress is to recognize that we have thousands of laws today on the books that cover and address AI. Every law that outlaws a criminal activity applies to AI like it would any other tool. And the example I often use is a hammer. Hammer can be used to build a house to break a window, but we don't outlaw hammers. We outlaw destruction of private property. And similarly, if AI is being used for fraud, if it's being used for impersonation, if it's being used for any of the myriad of criminal activities that we already have on the books today, let's bring in action. Let's stop it. And so start by recognizing that AI is subject and covered by thousands of laws today, just like every other tool is. Nonetheless, if there are gaps, let's identify gaps and fill them, not ban the technology. Let's not ban hammers because they could be used to break a window. Uh, To your other point of why is Israel so far ahead, it's because Israel faces this level of threat all the time. Israel doesn't have a ban on guns like like much of Europe does. In fact, when you go and visit Israel, you will see uh, people in uniform everywhere carrying firearms. It is a nation that has to be available to defend itself and ready to defend itself at a moment's call. And that is what you've seen over the past two to three weeks with the mobilization of the Israeli Defense Force. So they are living with a constant threat. We are fortunate here in the United States that many of our foreign adversaries are overseas. But nonetheless, the Internet allows them to attack us domestically. And that's where AI is going to be the next area where we need to arm ourselves in a defensive posture. AI every day and for the past 20 years has been taking down spam emails. AI, for the past 20 years, has been helping us do better searches on the Internet. And now we must let our nation continue to lead on AI as we figure out ways to use it to better identify foreign adversary threats, stop cyber attacks, and keep us safe, much in the way that Israel has allowed their innovation to develop. Yeah, and the attack on Israel really should be a wake-up call that we need to further develop artificial intelligence, integrate it into our own defense, as you've been saying, uh, Carl. And you know, in just the last few minutes I have with you, um, there have been a lot of concerns about um, EMPs and a strike that America is uh, very vulnerable to, and how much could AI potentially help uh, that type of defense um, in terms of specific vulnerabilities? So EMPs, electromagnetic pulses, uh, I, I was trying to explain it to somebody the other day, and I asked if they'd seen the movie Ocean's Eleven. 
and, and they use an EMP. EMPs are a micronuclear blast that essentially pry all electronics. It's more than just turning off the lights for a couple of minutes. It's annihilation of every microprocessor. And, and so it's a real, real problem. We saw a couple of years ago when New York had the blackout for just 48 hours. Now imagine a blackout that lasts months. Now, how can AI help prevent that type of threat? There are only certain ways to cause an EMP attack. It's essentially, as I described, a micronuclear blast. So you can use AI to identify where are the resources necessary, where are the components necessary to trigger such an explosion, and then see where they're going. This gets back to what I was talking about earlier about connecting the dots. Uh, you, you can sometimes see in a movie where somebody is down in a basement with pictures spread all over the floor and red string connecting one thing to another. Well, imagine perfect memory where you can remember something as simple as a letter you read 30 years ago and connect it to something you just saw five seconds ago. That's what AI can do. It can connect those dots. So when it comes to an EMP, it can identify where are the components, where have they been, where have they been over the past 30 years, who has said anything about it, how do you connect these uh, potential threats to actual resources. And that's how we stop it. That's how we identify it. That's how we keep Americans safe. Well, Carl Zabo, really appreciate your time this morning. And I wish that Congress was more focused on this than uh, vacating the chair. But uh, always appreciate your comments and insights. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. to welcome a new sponsor to American Family Radio, and I hope you give them your full support, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. If you're like most of us, you're feeling the strain of rising healthcare costs. Well, good news, Christian Healthcare Ministries may be the answer you're looking for. CHM is an affordable, faith-based option to traditional healthcare that provides members the freedom to choose doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods since they are not insurance. Can you say freedom? CHM is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry and has been around for over 40 years, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. They are tried and true and have members in all 50 states and around the world and have covered billions in medical bills. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. Make the switch today by visiting chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And as we continue to talk about the conflict in the Middle East and the absolute failures on foreign policy and also domestic policy of the Biden administration, then the question naturally becomes who should the conservatives choose as the best uh, representative and candidate heading into the 2024 election for uh, reclaiming the White House. And my good friend Kathy Barnett is the national grassroots director for Team Vivek Ramaswamy. 
And you will remember her as the 2022 Republican Senate candidate from Pennsylvania uh, and ultimately did not prevail against Dr. Oz, who did not prevail against John Fetterman. And wouldn't we much rather have Kathy Barnett right now in the U.S. Senate than John Fetterman? I think so. Uh, but Kathy has been a very dear friend, and today she is launching her own podcast on Apple, the Kathy Burnett podcast. And her first episode, she tells me, is her interview with Vivek Ramaswamy. So good morning, Kathy. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. So um, tell me first about the interview with Vivek and your new podcast. Yes, well, I'm so excited. You know, it gives me the opportunity to elevate a variety of voices. Uh, when I ran against Dr. Oz and others in Pennsylvania, we were spending 1,500 miles every single week for about 15 months talking to Americans. These are not French people. These are not domestic terrorists. These are not um, a threat to our democracy. They are Americans who are the backbone of this nation, and we're sick and tired of being told to shut up, sit down, and be quiet. And so that's the premise of this show, is to really give uh, a platform to a variety of voices. Some we know very well. Some are unsung heroes. We're going to talk about it. The first one is with the vape. I know him well. Uh, I agree uh, with his policy stance, his vision for this country. And you're going to hear about that. And that's really exciting, Kathy. And, um, you know, I, I spoke with you initially um, way back when Vivek first uh, launched his campaign and I uh, saw that you're supporting him. And so um, from the perspective of uh, his policy, there's been a lot of criticism um, of Vivek that, uh, you know, he, he just is too young. He doesn't have the experience. Um, you know, some of those things from the more uh, seasoned candidates on the GOP campaign trail, I thought he performed incredibly well in the first two Republican debates. Um, so as, as a Christian and a homeschool mom, um, why do you support Vivek and what policies in particular are, uh, are you focused on that uh, causes you to be part of Team Vivek? Yeah, well, listen, you know, for those who would critique him and criticize him because of his age, let me ask another question. What has all of that, all of that age that we currently have in office, what is all of that age has gotten us? It hasn't gotten us very much. The average age of those in the Senate is pushing 70 years old. What has all of that age gotten us? Uh, it's gotten us into a, a tailspin. With this um, inflation, it has gotten us to a place where we have just a wide open border situation. A hundred, uh, a over a hundred thousand Americans are expected to die again this year just because of drug overdose, primarily fentanyl. Um, so, what has all of that gotten us? I think it's time for us to pass the torch to a, a new generation of Americans, and preferably those born closer to this century than the previous one, um, because we're dealing with 21st century issues that we have never had to contend with. I remember watching that first presidential debate, and when the question was asked, who would stop sending money to Ukraine and, and pivot from the path that we're on today, but Bates' hand was the only one that went up. And as I was watching the people on the stage with him, they just seemed tired 
and they kept pushing forward the 1982 quote from President um, uh, uh, Reagan, as if we're dealing with those particular issues and those particular times. We're not. And quite frankly, we need someone who understands when the 21st century and who will be bringing solutions that match. Yeah, I'm speaking with uh, Kathy Barnett, who is the grassroots coordinator for a team Vivek. And, you know, when we talk even about um, artificial intelligence and some of these things that I was talking to uh, my last guest uh, about, it seems like um, a lot of the older generation in Congress, uh, you know, don't understand social media, much less um, the the perils, the danger and the benefits as well of things like artificial intelligence. And, you know, someone of a younger generation, particularly, you know, someone who's had um, so much success in tech like Vivek um, should have a seat at the table in terms of policy. And so um, you know, when you look at uh, what he has accomplished and what policies he's pre- he's presenting, um, let's talk also about Israel. And um, he had tweeted, I think just yesterday, um, quote, others are playing silly uh, political gotcha games on what to do with Gazan refugees. But here's the truth. We need to admit that United that the United States has a self-created fake refugee problem that is systemic. You can't cure a cancer until you acknowledge its existence. As president, I will implement an asylum and refugee moratorium until our borders are fully secured and our asylum laws are updated, period. That means no refugees from Gaza or elsewhere. He goes on to fully um, to more fully describe that. I mean, that that I think is the type of policy that conservatives want. Absolutely. Absolutely. Versus what you have in this kind of wide-eyed, rabid response from Nikki Haley of initially, let's bring in a million um, uh, Palestinians from Gaza into America. Like, what are you talking about? This is what you say when, because what what we're used to in the Republican Party is looking at our political leaders trying to find that uh, that moderate lane. They take a lot of polls. They try to figure out which way the wind is blowing and how do we not sound too conservative. And so we and so we say things like what Nikki Haley just said. Well, listen, let's just have compassion and bring in a million uh, Palestinians from Gaza into our country. Absolutely not. We don't even know who the overwhelming majority of these people are much less the overwhelming majority of the the tens of millions of illegals who have crossed our border. We don't know who these people are. We do know many of them that we're finding out now are on our terrorist watch list. But what about the tens of millions we don't know that we didn't touch uh, in, in order to find out who these people are? And they're in our country. We have very real and systemic Issues. A couple of days ago, I was watching um, a committee in our um, in, in, in the U.S. House on AI technology, and most of our uh, legislators uh, admitted that they don't even have a Twitter account, and yet they're trying to figure out well, what does AI even stand for, right? I mean, we have very real problems. We have never lived in a time in our history where we have where we are relying on our enemies for our very way of existence today, uh, i.e. China, i.e. off the coast of China with Taiwan. We've never relied on our enemies as much as we do today uh, for our very existence. How do we acknowledge that, recognize that, and implement 
uh, real policies that will address this. For example, Vivek was the very first Republican I've ever heard to say he will shut down the Department of Education. Many others have now jumped on that bandwagon. But those are the kind of ideas that we are going to need um, to pull our nation off this precipice where we currently find ourselves. Yeah, really well said, Kathy Barnett. And one of the things that I really uh, personally appreciate so much about Vivek uh, running as an outsider, and um, and he talks about that all the time, and he's not afraid to address the problems that a lot of their politicians particularly specifically address uh, things like the Department of Education that I think every conservative should recognize is not only an unconstitutional agency, but it's now uh, really undercutting the entire premise of federalism. And some of these very simple things to just stand firm on the Constitution, on the truth, um, it's really great to have his voice at the debates. And I think he has uh, really changed the playing field for the GOP candidates and are are forcing uh, the other candidates to address some of these um, not politically popular issues. And so what do you say to the people who uh, suggest, well, because um, you know, he wasn't in, as engaged in politics uh, younger, he doesn't have um, you know the voting record that some do. I mean, my, my personal response to that is our founders said we are a country of the people, by the people, for the people, and he's an American citizen, has every right to run for president. We didn't start this country thinking that only career politicians would have uh, the necessary know-how or the expertise to then run for public office. Yeah, you know, I mean, and if you look at just from a, you know, a factual historical perspective, our young generation are the ones who vote the least. They have the most to lose and they participate the least in our political process. And instead of blaming them, why don't we blame the political apparatus that does not inspire our young people to engage? And so Bobate, coming from that young perspective, uh, he is he is speaking and implementing or proposing to implement a variety of of policies and ideas that will actually inspire our young people to get involved and to take part. You know, there was a recent survey that came out where um, it says 60% of Gen Z says that they are willing, more willing to give up the right to vote than to give up TikTok, right? So do we blame them or do we blame a system that essentially just cuts them out altogether? Do they want to hear their voice? Apparently, unless you're 70 and above, your voice doesn't matter that much, right? Uh, for those who are complaining that someone of a base age should not be a part of the process. Um, so we're cutting them out, and it's a very real problem. They are going to inherit our nation. I don't think our nation can long survive when you have another survey said only 16% of Gen Z are actually proud to be an American. So when they're getting a daily diet of America is the worst nation on the planet that is systemically racist, uh, no wonder we have so many young people who are saying, you know what, I just wash my hands of it all together. And in fact, you can take my right to vote, just don't take my TikTok. That's a problem to be addressed. And you see these videos when Vivek goes into 
any kind of environment where there's young people. He is mobbed by them. They love him. He is being, uh, they are, they are inspired by him and his message that is very clear. He's not taking polls, trying to figure out what's the right thing to say. He is speaking truth. And I believe we have a nation of people who are hungry for truth, who are hungry for something that is real and authentic. You might not agree with everything Vivek says, but what you can be assured of is that what he's saying is what he believes. And so, and I think that that's a really good spot to begin versus what we have come accustomed to with these plastic politicians and their super PACs that basically tell them what to say and is running these campaigns. Yeah, and, and I can just personally attest with uh, having known Vivek um, as a personal friend for years that he is very authentic. And, you know, he can he consistently just says what he believes. You may not agree with it, just like listeners may not agree with my opinions all the time, but I'm going to forthright and I tell you what I think. And that's uh, exactly what we should expect, not just from political commentators uh, like but from people who are running for higher office. We shouldn't have a difference on the campaign trail versus uh, what these politicians then do in office. And you mentioned, uh, Kathy Barnett, and we only have a couple of minutes left, and I so appreciate your time, that um, young people are disengaged with the process. And that reflects a study that showed that the Republicans lost margins with 18 to 29-year-olds have nearly doubled in national elections since 2000. Um, I think that uh, Vivek has been a really good uh, voice for the younger generation, like you said, to inspire people. And one of the reasons I'm so frustrated that this GOP primary is so contentious is because uh, no matter who wins, I'm very grateful that we have a wide bench of great voices, including Vivek, that are speaking the truth. So how can uh, we as a conservative community get more engagement from young people and following that model that Vivek is presenting? Yeah, I, I love that question. But let me also say, because you brought up the media, that is one thing I've always appreciated about you, Jenna, is that when we have texted, when we have called, you have always spoken truth to me. And I appreciate that because it is not something we are used to, especially in this industry, whether it's politics or media. And so that is something that I truly appreciate with you. And that is something that I think would be very healthy for our nation is to have those in positions like yours with a platform like yours to speak truth, even if it gets you in trouble, even if people don't like you, even if people, you know, uh, want to try to deplatform you over it, is that we have to have Americans who recognize that you, if, if, if you don't stand up now, uh, it's going to only get worse. You may save yourself a, a an immediate response from the from the left, or even quite frankly, from many on our own side, and trying to cancel you. But it, but not for long. We have to we have to have more yeah. and more and, people who will stand up and speak truth. And Kathy, I so appreciate that. We'll have to leave it there. I'll have to have you back on to address the young voters. Kathy Burnett, really appreciate it. We're out of time. I'll see you tomorrow morning here on Janet Ellis in the morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. 
I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest-serving health cost-sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org/afr. That's chministries.org/afr.